And you thought anything other than Abigail would immediately smash her computer to pieces in her effort to get that onto her hands and eyeballs. Um, you don't know me at all. You must never have listened to this podcast before. And God help you if this is actually the first episode of your podcast. What an intro. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Listen, listen, okay? Here's the thing about this. Here's the thing about this. I read this title and I thought to myself, oh my God, because you know what this sounds like? This, this book, this book, it's about hot sheriffs. It's about shifters. It's got a demon hunting badass heroine. It's got the vibes of a duck from Adventure Zone Amnesty, except he falls in love. And you know what? That's all I want. I'm so desperately, desperately in love with duck. Give me more of those vibes, y'all. Give me all the vibes. If you don't think I'm reading this right now, you don't know me. You don't know me. You don't know this podcast. So you know what you should do? You should get this book and you should love this book and you should tell me about it and tell me how much you love sexy sheriff men's who can do in supernatural situations. Okay. All right. Okay. Let's do it. Let's, let's get on it, y'all. So once again, this podcast is brought to you by Kensington's newest title, Demon Hunting with the Southern Sheriff by Lexi George. Listen, I know I got intense there, y'all, but you really should get this book. You can find it at kensington.com or through the link below. Okay, onwards to the show! My name is Abigail Kelly, and today I'm here with Daniela Amara. Hi. Hi. Thank you How for having me. How are you doing me. today? Are you having a good day so far? Yep. Mm-hmm. I this weekend I decided to start making sure that I wasn't doing all my work on the weekends because that's what I tend to do, and so I'm feeling a little weird because I have not done any writing or uh-huh. any social media stuff. I've been trying to plan that through the week, but it has been a good day. I guess relaxing, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I I also am someone who has a terrible, terrible not working anxiety. Um, I don't I don't know how to take days off because I I gotta just I you know I gotta sit down I gotta put some words down. It's not that hard, you know. It's fine. It's fine. I'm not. It's it counts, right? As a day off if I only write, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think for some people, especially after you get a couple of books out, you. Realize that writing is the easiest part of your job, usually. (laughs) (laughs) So, yep. Yep, that is very true. Um, And speaking of, Daniela, you have written a few books at this point. You have multiple books that are on pre-order and coming out soon. But right now, you have a book out called Lady of the Primordial Tree, um, Mm -hmm. which I'm going to say, so I have a number of listeners who absolutely love Brandon Sanderson. Um, 
<laughs> your face. Okay, yes. Yep. <laughs> All right. Um, and I have never attempted one of those chunky, chunky boys because they intimidate me. They're so very large, and they take up so much room on my bookshelf at my store, um, and I can't abide by that. But I do know that people who love intense, complex, fraught world building love themselves at Brandon Sanderson. And when I was reading your book, I saw that you, in your blurb, compared your book to the world building of a Sanderson-esque novel. Um, and I dove in and I was like, oh, I can see what she's saying. I can, I can see what she's saying. <laughs> your book, like, it is a, it is a high fantasy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it is uh, both like revenge tale, but also like a coming of age to a degree almost, um, right? Of... Um, in this world that is matriarchal, um, but also kind of not, uh, or there's not everyone agrees that it should be that way. Um, mm-hmm. And you have this really, really intense mythology that you just hammer the reader with from the get-go, um, which is, I I respect, because that is a choice to make <laughs> because you had, I feel like I was reading your book and I was like, oh, this, this lady had something to say. She had this story carving a spot in her brain and she needed to let it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I loved it. And I would love to hear about how you kind of came about um, creating this like super complex system that you that you came up with, but also like um, the the seeds of how you um, came up with the story. Uh, and and because I mean, this is I the reason I jump into this right away is because I feel like there's a lot going on here and I, mm-hmm. I feel like you're going to have a lot to say. So I'd love to hear you kind of break that down for me. That's so sweet. Thank you. Um, so yeah, Brandon Sanderson came into my life because of my best friend when I was in college, actually. Mm-hmm. Growing up, I was uh, I was homeschooled in uh, my elementary years <laughs> because my mm-hmm. sister had a heart disease, so we couldn't attend school. And so when you're homeschooled, you kind of get put into these groups with people who find ways to entertain themselves outside of social circles, right? So you kind of have more introverted hobbies that tend to pop up. Um, for me, I, it was video games. My brother and I love video games and that's still something that happens till now. And, uh, the kinds of video games that we were playing play on really, really large world building as opposed to just task baked things. We liked games that had stories. And mm-hmm. after that, once I got old enough to really read novels, it was really hard, hard, high fantasy. And that's something that attracts me because I like to, feel like I'm immersed in a world while I'm reading. Um, I, I, I like plot too, right? Of course, um, I, it's not all just world-based, but mm-hmm. I, I really in, in, was interested in that from Brandon Sanderson because I read Mistborn, the Mistborn trilogy, which is probably outside of Elantris, like his most popular novel. Well, I don't know. All of them are popular at this point. The man's prolific. And when I read it, I was like, oh my goodness, this has everything that I wanted. It has romance in it, probably not to the, to the extent that some romance readers would appreciate. It has this high conflict. It has like all the tropes that are well-loved, but it takes them into this beautiful kind of heist type fantasy. So Brandon Sanderson has always captured that for me in a way that I thought was just really, really excellent and 
superb. He's also very good at writing women. Um, a lot of his main characters in his books are women. And I felt like even though sometimes when reading men writing women, you kind of think, what? That is not yeah. how I would act at all. He mm-hmm. He's a person that had like a mom who is good and a good wife and sisters and stuff like that. So he was really able to capture um, that feminine energy in, in some of these characters, which I liked a lot. So mm-hmm. with Lady of the Primordial Tree, it is my debut novel, um, mm-hmm. which is scary. And it I, obviously is the book I'm the most critical of uh, because I, I do see the weaknesses in it pretty easily yeah. <laughs> as a writer, especially ones that kind of filtered out as I continued writing this series. Um, this series will be finished in August this year. Um, but what I liked about the story was it came from therapy, <laughs> everything I don't know mm-hmm. so I was in a therapy thing and my therapist was like you sound like you're, you're a person that needs to write down your feelings more and so I said mm-hmm. oh okay and I was dealing with um it, some things that had happened around my my dad who's been like married a couple of times and my parents are divorced and he's just not excellent so I I sat down after a therapy session and wrote like this 4,000 word scene that was like this woman sitting on a settee and she had a chain around her ankle and like that chain was like really symbolic in a lot of ways of uh what she was feeling like being tethered to somebody that she didn't want to be tethered to and the whole house that she was sitting in was like a hoarder's house like it was all this baggage all this emotion and Mm -hmm. this woman just tied to all of that tied to these things she couldn't let go of and she couldn't clear out the space and which is how I felt right and kind of also how I felt about like my mom a little bit growing up and seeing her deal with that and as I wrote that scene uh I like I I don't know how to explain how it came about it organically, but then Lady of the Primordial Tree came out of this and it came out of all of these things that I wanted in this very personal situation where, you know, growing up in the 90s, early 90s, when like abuse situations were very much blamed on women mm-hmm. and like, and, 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 you know, my mom has never remarried. My dad has been married three times. Like, yeah. <laughs> like there's like a lot of these things that happen and stuff that, that were really uh, core memories for me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what is a world like this that I could just change? And then as that was happening as well, I was going to the doctor for, for fertility treatments. Cause I'd been, I've been married for five years now. Um, and around that time it was like, three, four, when I was writing. And again, it was this, this thing that I encountered once again, um, where they were like, Oh, why, why didn't you notice that something was wrong with your body? Like, you don't have this, you don't have that. Like it's, it was kind of blamed. And I went to some of the people and where I lived, uh, like some doctors and a lot of them tend to be male. And so I, I just had this really poor experience, um, that was happening Mm -hmm. in my brain during the, uh, the genesis of this story. And so I was writing and I just remember thinking like, I, it was around mother's day. <laughs> this is all mm-hmm. really specific. This book was way too personal to me for to like, for my own good. All my other yeah. books are like really fun, but this one was really like really personal. So it was around mother's day and everyone was like, yeah, mothers. Right. And talking about yeah. women and stuff. And I was like, why is it as a society, we spend so much time loving mothers? Like we we have a day for them. It's like women's day for a lot of women and stuff, but why do we just like not care about them? You know, like Mm -hmm. why, why? Um, and so I, I was like, 
I thought about it, you know, we have cultures that, that have goddesses as kind of pinnacle of their pantheons, right? And even still, like um, patriarchy and misogyny are still really running rampant in those areas. I have a friend who lives in India and we talked about that a lot, right? Like like how yeah. there's the idea of, of goddesses, but still, you know, putting down of women in some ways. And um, without trying to get too political, I apologize. But <laughs> like, <laughs> but that was the thing. I was like, you know, what if there was an entire theology raised around a goddess? And I use this to show people sometimes what it feels like for me. Like, first of all, I want to create a society where women are like, this is what it would look like if women were in charge and not just like, you know, there's a vague goddess in Sarah J. Mass novels, like the mother yeah. of the cauldron or something, but like, it's still super patriarchal. It doesn't make sense to me the way that religion propagates that if we put these people on a pedestal, like that, 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 indicates everything else right that's that's a problem with some of the religions we have today or if we put a man to central then then the men become elevated from the women and the women have further distance and, and stuff like that mm -hmm. um so i was like i'm going to do this i'm going to make sure that it's continuous though i'm going to put the women in charge of government and so i have like a a conflict happening there because the woman that takes over the government in the continent that Lady of the Primordial Tree happens in, like places herself as the goddess. So you have the real goddess in a offshoot religion. Then you have the empress who is the goddess in her own right, which ha has happened a lot in many countries throughout culture. Um, like for example, in Egypt with the Pharaoh, where he talks about like how he's Horus, you know, the son of Ra, mm -hmm. all of those things. And once that kind of came together, I was like, I am making a decision <laughs> and I'm sticking with it. And if people don't like it, oh, well. And that was the rest of me writing that book. It was very much like, I want a girl who's raised in this and I'm going to highlight the problems with this uh, with a person who appreciates egalitarian societies. And I'm going to mm -hmm. use it to show people, you know, like, hey, maybe I've seen this flipped on a head were how men treat women because of the belief systems that they create for themselves. And, and for me, like, I'm also going to show myself that these kinds of things are possible, that women should be viewed as powerful and uh, level-headed and capable of being in charge of things. And their bodies should be celebrated, like the way that their bodies work, like periods and stuff like that. All of that is important um, and should be given the value that it, it, it demands from the act of what it is. So yeah, I, it was, it was a lot. It was a lot for that. Um, yeah. None of my stories has, have reached the same level, I don't think, even though I do tend to go a bit, you know, um, unhinged with world building. But yeah, so that's it. <laughs> I don't know if that was just a lot of talking. <laughs> no, no, that definitely, I think that I, I definitely saw a lot of that. There is a lot of... Um, like you, you go into it's. I, I, I really just I love when it's not simple because you, you do do this thing where you, you've changed everything and you put women at the center. Um, you know, family wealth is passed down through the woman. Uh, the, the, all of the mythology pretty much is based around, uh, women and daughters, and it's a, uh, you know, the magic even comes from from women. It's, it's a, it's a very you don't just kind of it's not just lip service you actually make the core of the the society around a woman's place in it whereas like i feel like in a lot of matriarchal sort of narratives the women are technically mm -hmm. like supposed to be but they still like end up wanting to be like dominated by a man in the in the actual personal narrative of the characters or something weird like that it's like well that's 
well, I don't. <laughs> Wait. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. interesting. That happens in a lot of popular books. Like, and that's something that I realized while writing. Because mm-hmm. I did, a, I, part of my research for writing is actually just reading books that I'm interested in mm-hmm. because then I, I don't want to copy anything from anyone else. Obviously, like I don't, I don't believe in plagiarism or anything of that sort, yeah. but I do like to see how they are formulating their stories. And yeah. that's actually the best way for me to learn. I, I read a, a lot of Brandon Sanderson. I also read like Akatar and stuff, which is a really enjoyable novel. I, I, I mean, for all the critiques against it, I think most people can agree that it is a, it is an enjoyable thing to consume when you're reading it. But, but yeah, there's, there are these things where they're like, oh, it's matriarchal. But then there are all these inconsistencies with like how people think about things, how the men talk to women, like, and those things are a disconnect for me because they don't make sense. And I think we've reached a point in, in feminist, um, ideology where we can start moving away from that. Like, of course those things are painful and those narratives are good. Like feel like to show the empowerment of women under the oppression of men is, is good. Um, but I also think that we can start going forward from that with like intersectionality and all of these great ideas we have in movements where we can say, actually, I'm just going to scrap that. I'm going to imagine something completely different because this is my world and I'm going to be able to decide how these things happen. Um, so like, like, for example, in the second book, one of the things that happens when they go to a different continent is they have a woman who's a queen um, and she has like a harem essentially, right? It's, it's, not, it's not reverse harem because it's not super based in, in sexuality or anything like that. But she has these people who she has to have children with to produce heirs. But it's different, obviously, because in the in patriarchal narratives or in dynastic narratives, like in China, it has to be a woman so that a man can just keep popping over and making more babies and stuff. But you have to mm-hmm. take the time for that. But her first spouse is like a woman, right? Like she she is she's like this bisexual queen, and it's 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 a really really interesting thing to explore because you you can do that in fantasy, right? You can say I'm going to turn it on its head and imagine what these things would be look from real examples in life just because I want to like there are no rules for me here so yeah and so what I got to thinking about when I was reading your book was the the difference between sci-fi and fantasy (laughs) um and the more I got into reading the way of primordial tree the more I was like this might as well be, and to a certain extent it is, right? Like it is a about a completely different society on a completely different planet. There are two suns. They've got totally different seasons. They've got a totally different culture. Like at what point is it just, you know, there, there, I guess really there is no difference because at the bottom line, it's just a story. But like I, I felt like you took such a ground up approach to your world building that I didn't feel like I was, say, just stepping into medieval England, but with wizards, you know, mm-hmm. like I felt like I was, oh, OK, I'm on a completely different world in a completely different culture. This is not anything that I can relate to except in the fundamental sense. Right. This is yeah. like everything is different. You took a look at like everything from like how the atmosphere would be different to how their culture would be different, how they would approach like their legal system. Um, and and I, I thought that was really ballsy like that is a <laughs> yeah. that is a like a yep. huge undertaking i personally i love sci-fi and fantasy i struggle a lot with both writing and reading 
a certain level of what we would say like high fantasy or like hard sci-fi right Mm -hmm. because i can i feel it's easy to feel very alienated particularly in the beginnings of a book when an author has to explain everything i'm gonna be honest with you i haven't gotten past page 50 of a throne of roses or whatever the hell i i Uh. I haven't i haven't and i know that that's like blasphemy No, and it's I, fine. And I'm sure it's. I'm sure it's good. Oh, I'm so sure. All of the fan art, they look so hot. But like, here's the deal. Mm-hmm. I just, I if you can't make me care instantly, I don't. Uh, eh. The problem with high fantasy and sci-fi of the type that you're talking about is like it's just so like word dumpy, and that that was yeah. something I. Part of this is not, it was not entirely intentional. Part of this is because it was my first book and reaching 80,000 words, which is the length of a traditionally published novel. Like if you're querying or something, that's yeah. typically the length they wanted around was really hard for me the first time. I have then, oh. I have since then written five books mm-hmm. and it's way easier every time I have to, all of <laughs> yeah. them have been longer than that. But yeah. because I was like 80,000 words, like this is my goal. This is what everybody, like the advice I got from my editor and, and all these people is like, this is what I want to be at. Um, you can't be like that. Like you can't spend 200 pages just talking about dirt and sand. Like at some point you need a plot to come in to, to hook people. So I, yeah. I completely understand that. And every Sarah J Mass book I've ever read is, is very much like that. Um, Throne of Glass, yeah, has a better start than some of the other ones because it starts out with the, this assassin in a room or something, which is kind of fun. But but um, a Court of Thorns and Roses is just a girl hunting in the middle of the woods for like twenty pages, and then God, she gets it's back. So and, long, and her, her yeah. siblings suck. And yeah. then I know I know because I'm a reader and I'm I'm on the internet that there are several books, and all of her sisters get books. Yeah. And I'm like, all of these people are assholes, and I'm expected to dive in and be like, I can't wait to see what. How yeah. they fall in love. No, they suck. She's out there. They're trying to bring f- mm-hmm. food home for them and they're sitting on their asses. I don't care about this. Anyway, I didn't even get to the point. I think, honestly, Daniela, <laughs> I think my issue is generally, unless you can hook me, which your book really did because I was like, oh shit, oh, she went me. deep in the paint with this world building. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you've got me. But generally, if it's just this like, okay, we're in medieval england you're you're not saying it's medieval england but it's medieval england okay yeah the map she made is literally based on scotland so i mean it's not england but it's the united kingdom yep (laughs) and then on top of that i don't even meet the love interest in the first chapter or even the second chapter i'm sorry ma'am people authors you can't i'm a romance reader you can't do this to me i have mm-hmm. to have i have to have, have a handhold so i can start climbing up this mountain but if you're telling me i need to i need to take a hammer and make my own i'm not gonna do it i have mm-hmm. stairs i could walk up in another much easier area of this place i could go and read a mafia romance right now where i know that they're going to get up to some weird shit in the first chapter and i'm going to be into it Mm -hmm. and i hate that about myself but here we are it's fine i don't know i think knowing what you like is excellent that's i yeah that's a big thing that i think writers are trying to look at remedying um one of my i co-write and i know that we have another podcast planned for May with my co-author yes. but that's another thing that that she struggled with a lot in her first series which did quite well she wrote her first series ever was YA dystopian romance type thing mm-hmm. which is like quite cute but but there is this um gut urge when you start writing a book 
or when you start writing in general to just yeah. be like, okay, I need everybody to know what page we're on, where we're at. This is the intro mm-hmm. lecture, all these things. But that's such a poor idea as a reader because you want it to start with action and you can world build along the way. So like, yeah. for example, in mine, like the girls, like the, I started with a prologue, which sometimes for whatever reason I learned after we're kind of, uh, what's the word? Controversial. Because yeah, a people lot of readers love, don't like them or hate them. Yeah. yeah. I, I thought it was a really, really good plot device for what I wanted to do because I wanted there to be a significant time jump. And in the first, in the prologue, what ends up happening is she has this thing. She sees a man who's like married, right? And he's raping his wife, which is controversial because, I mean, rape within marriage is a topic that a lot of people are very uncomfortable with. They're like, is consent a thing once you are bound to each other and all this stuff, right? So yeah. that was like the start of it. Um don't don't look too far into it. I don't know. Like someone asked me, like, did you experience something like this? Why did you write about that? I was like, because uh, I wanted to. Please stop asking me these questions. Well, I think it's a it's so. a really good you. Uh, one of the th- I I'm personally like I'm not a huge fan of sexual assault in books. However, no. if you were mm-hmm. introducing a world where the power dynamics are this different, sexual mm-hmm. assault would still exist. And so I think that mm-hmm. to a degree, it was a really poignant introduction to the difficulties within this world and the fact that the men they they're they're not okay necessarily a lot of them are fine with what the the system is but a lot of them aren't and a lot of them still do terrible things just as women do Mm -hmm. terrible things and they do it to the to their spouse regardless of who is technically in power right Mm -hmm. so i think introducing our main character as a a young woman who stumbles upon this um and who runs to help and is introduced to she's never seen a man before and her first instance of seeing a man is him abusing his wife and her trying to stop that Mm -hmm. um in, in a world where women are supposed to be in power and are, but this thing can still happen. Like, I think that was a really interesting way to do it and a very human way because it's not going to be all cookie cutter and perfect and everyone's yeah. going to toe the line. So um, I, I, I personally, I understand why it's controversial. I also understand that that's a tough topic, but I, I did think that like to not address it would have also been weird, especially in a world that is as gritty as yours is. It yep. would have been strange. I I don't I actually didn't read Outlander until after I'd finished mm-hmm. the second draft of my book. So it wasn't it wasn't inspired by that at all, but when I read Outlander like oof, rough like and I oh love my God, Outlander so books. hard, right? Yeah. It's so hard. Yeah. I mean, I love I love Jamie. And the more that I read, the more I realize like what what a character Jamie is. I I mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. Jamie's just a whole person. Like he's, he makes poor decisions. He's not morally gray in the sense of like, like he would, I don't know. Like there, there, sometimes we get a human being. He, he feels like a human being who's Uh going to make the best decision he can in the heat of the moment. And sometimes those decisions are wrong and sometimes they have terrible consequences. Um, and terrible things happen to him. Really wonderful things happen to him. And all of that Mm -hmm. has ripple effects. I loved the first book i once i learned though that it was going to continue to be terrible and terrible things were going to happen to them i was like i think i'm going to stop at book one and pretend that they went and lived happily ever after with their child who nothing bad ever happened to because i don't think that i can get past this i'm up here looking at book nine babe (laughs) yeah i'm like i I know because i keep up on it right because i I want to know i want to know these things um just like i've never seen or read a word of Bridgerton, but I still keep up on what's going on because I'm 
I'm nosy. Yeah, um, and that's a totally valid way to follow fandoms. I completely understand. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. all the, and the, they're so pretty, and all the costumes are so nice. Yeah, I, I, I want to know. <laughs> but I, but I can't. I'm gonna. I'm one of those people who like if I start watching a show and I get really into it, and then it gets to a point where I can see it starting to head downhill, I will mentally like stop the show and give it my own finale and be like, and then they lived happily ever after, and this is what yeah. happened, and I don't need to know. What else happened here? Yep. At all. Ugh. And and that's the thing. Like, Outlander is extremely painful, but it's also such a good... Gosh, it's just such a good way to show people who are like, I wish I lived in a different time. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, Regency no, era books... Yeah, exactly. Exactly, right? Like, yeah. you get to see... Claire lived in two time periods that were not ideal, obviously, because she lived in the early, like 1940s, and then she lived in the 1840s or something, right? Like, 200 years something between. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, right? None of them. None of these times were excellent. Like, she went through civil rights. Like, she saw all the stuff. She saw all of these things. But it's such, it shows history to me in such a gritty and realistic way that it gives us, it, it takes away the um, romanticism of it. Especially yeah. because in a lot of Regency novels, um, which is similar in time period to what you would see in Outlander, even though it's in a different place. Like they're, they're pretty similar. Bridgerton, I think is like the early 1800s, right? Well, anyway, like when I read the books, it it mentions like the early 1800s, which is the same time as, as Jamie. But for them, it's, I mean, the intrigue is pretty light in the books. They did amazing things with the show. They really, really like brought it to the next level. But with this, you're like, oh my goodness, like men were rough. Like even if like, <laughs> yeah. some women who are like, oh, I like dominance or whatever, like that's rough. Like they are really, yeah. really horrible. And, and the sexual assault that happens in all the books was a lot for me to, to swallow because there is yeah. so much of it. Um, and I, I've told anybody who's read it, I was like, if you want to read it, you need to be aware that pretty much every main character in this book, and there are many, is going to deal with sexual assault at some point and is going to like be brutal every single time. And, and something that I it, thought was, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I just, I, and it's so funny to try and like break down what is like the, the, like, <laughs> cause there's two levels to that, right? There's the, yes, in fiction, this was sexual assault. Right. This was assault and this was bad and it was dealt with or whatever. Right. And then there's the layer below that, which is we were writing this in the 1990s or early 2000s or even mid 2000s, because let's be honest, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Anything that happened post or pre 2015 is going to have some rough stuff in it. Um, And so there's this double layer of being like, so there's sexual assault in the narrative. Okay. And then there's, okay, but also there's this thing that we now recognize as sexual assault that was viewed as sexy writing in the, yeah. in the time period mm-hmm. the book was written. Yeah. And no one saw a problem with, it's like, oh, okay, that's a fun, there are layers of disclaimers happening there. Being a bookseller yeah. is very fun when I have to explain that to somebody. I And that is such an excellent point. I have never said it so concisely before, but that is a fantastic point because- People don't realize um, how how the concept of sexuality has changed over books, right? Now, I don't mm-hmm. write very sexually explicit explicit books, which I feel like is like only honest to make a disclaimer for. Sexuality is included in my books, but I tend to write fade to black just because, like, that's a comfort level, right? Per- yeah, totally personal yeah, thing. But like, I I do read like all kinds of different heat types and stuff like that. I yeah. mean, I, I read Outlander that because. Pretty sexy, <laughs> like in terms of like the Take, frequency. Well, the and, first book takes like three hundred pages to get there, but once they yeah, get there, but like seven hundred pages in the last. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
I just so. I was just introduced to Outlander as the first book is like this is a romance novel. It's like it's got so much heat in it, and I was like, okay, and I cracked it open. I was like, I'm really enjoying it, but I'm like. I'm knuckle deep in this bitch, and I don't know where yeah. this is coming from yeah, because she hasn't even guy named kissed Frank, anybody. And then there's a bunch of dirty Scottish men. Yeah, uh-huh, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. yep. Great historical novel. I don't quite know where you think the romance is coming. We get there. It gets there, but like it yeah. takes a minute. I think in the in the show too, they made it happen quite a bit faster, also than they than did. what would be representative in the book. And I think that was smart for them because obviously it was made a lot of time later. I also yeah. like the way that they handled a lot of the issues that were happening in the show because mm-hmm. oh, I don't know, like I I just as I was reading that, and even her newer books deal with that concept and stuff that were things that were just really painful. Um, there is a an interview that Diana Gallard. Braun, how do you say her last name? I forget. Gabaldon? I've been saying Gabaldon. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> I don't know. I always see it. In, I, I don't Gabaldon. know. Gabaldon. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. For a long time in my brain, it was just like, just like, like <laughs> yeah. my brain does that a lot when I don't know a word. And I read fantasy, so that happens a lot too. Oh, I do struggle with the names though. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. 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 Some of my stuff, well. Your yeah. names were very accessible. I, I love, no, your names were very it's accessible. Like, I, I, like, I oh, try I to be apostrophe light. A lot yeah. of romance authors, or not romance, fantasy authors are very um, apostrophe, like, like, like there's like a <sighs> syllable and then an apostrophe and then like six syllables. And yeah, anyway. they're throwing it on like garnish, man. Yeah. Like it's mm-hmm. constant. I, um, <laughs> my dear, dear friend, Kat, she is also a bookseller. She, loves high fantasy and she loves the the goblin emperor um yes. <laughs> and i she got me a copy bless her heart um and i did crack that bitch open and i was like oh yeah. i can't pronounce any of their names yeah. i don't know like i there's no again there are no handholds for me here i don't even know what their names are i can't you can't ask me to get there with you when i can't even know what their names are yep <laughs> and so let yeah i didn't finish it <laughs> right now elena and i in our co-authored series which is an, uh, a little bit steamier from what i i don't know from my high fantasy super covers? high fantasy stuff i love yes. your guys's covers oh my god <laughs> i love them too <laughs> i oh, get to guys, credit you, for I'm that one like... because that was me who they who found the artists and stuff like so yeah i was like i, t- I showed elaine and i said i will not i will only write this series if it looks like this and and then we did so yeah <laughs> it's fantastic excellent. it's so yeah. cool yeah. That that mermaid looks like she's gonna eat somebody's heart out, and I love that. Ah, uh, yes. Oh my goodness, I love Helena so much. I wrote Helena's perspective, and it's hard because in my brain uh, I don't call her Helena, even though that's how it's spelled. It's it's an awkward name for me in English, um, because in my it, growing up I'm bilingual, and mm-hmm. H's are not existent. Mm-hmm. Um, like the sound H's, but it's with a J. So in my brain it's Helena. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's Elena's name too. So I've always like named it after her, even though it's not spelled differently. My brain just like names it as one. And I had somebody, uh, I I have had more people reach out to me about that series than the other one, just because it's so beautiful. And when I get people reaching out to me, sometimes they reach out on Instagram where they leave voice notes, right? Where you can send like a little note with your voice. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So they'll be like driving or whatever. And they send me something. They're just like chatting about the book or about my ideas and they'll be like, Helena. And I'm like, <laughs> wait, what? Ah. <laughs> so, and, and the whole thing is everybody in their, in their family in that, in the Royal ice mermaid kingdom, um, they all start with H's, mm-hmm. all of the children. So it's Enrique, 
Elena and Ali, and that's that's the the names in my brain. But it's mm-hmm. all written with H's. So anybody, anyone, anytime anyone like names them, I'm like, I I don't know who you're talking about. Sorry. <laughs> that's why I so. I recently um I I write a um urban fantasy paranormal whatever mm-hmm. it's in mm-hmm. it's ma- yeah. it's magic and stuff but it's in our world okay oh nice uh, yeah mm-hmm. um and i i struggle sometimes because i i also am like coming up with names for these people and like trying to figure out like okay each kind of race and territory has to have their own thing going on or else mm-hmm. like that's because that's how people work um and so my dragons <laughs> yeah. are based on uh eastern european culture love that um, least, that's excellent the, <laughs> the dragons who who populated north america they are at least there are other types of dragons but that's the main dominant uh-huh. uh, uh and so so i base a lot of their names on estonian uh popular baby names um and so but i for the longest time i personally had no idea how to pronounce some of them i was just kind of when i was writing them going like yeah that's yeah you learn how to spell it but you don't learn how to say it i have a nope. name like that in the demon or the daemon like it's spelled day but you just say demon like in yeah. that culture in this huge because that's what a lot of urban fantasy kind of goes in that direction where it's yeah it's everyone right you got fae you have mermaids you have all of these yeah. things you have all the cultures combined can have it in your the world like you have elaine mm-hmm. and i did secondary world just because i like making up shit <laughs> i love that i so. love that i wish i had i wish i had the gumption but i'm yeah. like i need indoor plumbing mm-hmm. i need cars yeah. i need mm-hmm. i have to because there's certain things i just don't feel like explaining so i'm just gonna be like yeah. and they have cell phones yeah that's and that's because it is urban fantasy but you also have a lot of these beings that have existed for centuries anyway yeah. and the daemons like they all looking up traditional daemon names or demon names is really confusing because a lot of them come from conglomerate languages so they take mm-hmm. bits of greek and bits of like these other things like that and you're, it's just like a mess freaking so sumerian like yeah. there it's in there mm-hmm. yeah yeah and a lot of middle eastern because there are like a lot of demonic culture that we have comes from the middle east um and a lot of their yeah. theological preferences um which is yeah. interesting but i'm like reading through it and i like made this one name and i was like this is a correct name i know that this is a demon name i don't know how to say it so we're gonna call him todd and like he like gives himself a nickname in the book <laughs> and <laughs> is like how do you say this what a cool name i'm like don't know <laughs> i mean thank so. god i was like at least i'm basing mine on a language that already exists so i can just pop mm-hmm. that shit into google translate and have them tell me how to say it mm-hmm. um but i so so i recently because i'm releasing a uh mini serialized novella right now that's based <gasps> yes. around a, a dragon shifter mm-hmm. um and um he his his name is artem um and but his family is ashdaya and there's a z in there and there's a j mm-hmm. in there uh and and I and so I had to put a little pronunciation guide because I realized no one really knew how to how to say it, let alone myself. I was like, listen, y'all say it however you want. Honestly, I've got no skin in this game, but I think this is how it's supposed to be pronounced. Yeah. <laughs> Google tells I, pronunciation me. guides are so helpful. I just uh, I'm a really lazy reader. So I oh would God. rather don't give like, me a glossary. Like, I don't care. Yeah. I will skim past oh it, even goodness. if it's there. Yeah. Like <sighs> the I the, the yep. Immortals dark books when there's like the whole glossary that's like mm-hmm. here are all the terms here are all the stuff and i'm like yep. listen y'all i'm just gonna dive in i don't need to get my feet wet i'm just gonna jump in head I'm first like, because i, I don't have context time. So i don't need this yeah. like that's yeah that's me <laughs> yeah the only one that really tripped me up i don't know if you've read them the elder races series by thea harrison i have not okay mm-hmm. i think you might 
might like. So it's an urban fantasy. Um, mm. Or I guess, I don't know. I, 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 are you one of the people who thinks urban fantasy must be hidden? No. Urban fantasy for okay. me is like, like for, for me in urban fantasy, I, I kind of group with the people who are like, this is more modern. Okay. That's all you need to know. <laughs> like, so there we go. Yep. There we go. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So it's urban <laughs> fantasy. I'm with you. I think that it used to mean that like there are like hidden fantasy in our world, but like, at this point, I think we're just going to accept that it's like big fantasy. In our world yeah, in. exactly. It's, it's open or not. More modernized type things with these classic stories is ten- typically what I would say most people write it under now when they classify it that way. So yeah, um, I her books, her books have like all of the usual, you know, the 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 um, trail mix of beings in the world yes. doing what they do, <laughs> finding their loves, you know, all that good good stuff. Uh, the first one is about a is about a dragon. Um, and uh, he he's the only dragon that exists in the world, and he has his own uh, territory that is like a chunk of the United States. It's his territory. He lives in this giant tower in New York. Um, and uh, the problem with her books is that sometimes she decides to just kind of throw in some fun stuff that's like medieval French, and but which is fine if you only do it every once in a while, Daniela. But when you decide that you're gonna call <laughs> Like the states, the territories, one of these words, it means that you got to use that word a lot. And when one of those words looks like it's desmancis, <laughs> and, and it's actually pronounced domain, it makes me want to tear oh. my freaking hair out because yeah. I don't speak French and yeah. I can't even figure out how to pronounce it. I had to look it up. It's like, this is medieval French for territory. Why did you choose that? Yeah. 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 Why? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I struggle because I understand, like, people who want to be that way in the book. Like, they want to give the authentic them experience. I love that. But ac- accessibility for readers is also just really important. I don't it's know. so important. <laughs> yeah, because because you have such great ideas, but you need to learn to communicate them. Oh, I mean, you don't. I know some, I have one or two friends who's a pretty successful, like, niche author. Mm-hmm. But I would say that it's becoming less and less maybe yeah. i don't know as over over the years cuz i had i've had friends who are authors ever since i did theatrical stuff like as a, as an extracurricular in in university um mm. but i don't know it it just feels like now things should be more accessible for more people the more that we publish because the platforms that we're publishing on are just like in, immensely more accessible to everybody right it's it's cheaper it's easier to get these types of things so i i like that sometimes sometimes i'll be like ooh this is pretty cool but i i'm going to be honest the more the older i get the less i gravitate to those things partially mm-hmm. because of time i yeah, really like exactly. it getting immersed in an, in a fandom but um if I spend too long on a book, it usually signals something to my brain that I am, um, it's because like, I don't have enough time to sit down and immerse myself in it, which people may be like, wow, you like Brandon Sanderson. I can read those babies. Okay. 1200 pages. I can read it. Like he still does it in a way where I know what's happening the whole time. <laughs> so I don't know. Like, I well, think, I it's, think a it's a difference between <laughs> the ability to onboard and not right. Yeah. If you can onboard me very quickly, I can get invested. I can, you give me a handhold. I can get there and I can, mm-hmm. I can do, you know, a 1200 page book. Yeah. I, I read a book a day. I can, I can, Listen, it's not the page count that gets me. It's when you sit there and you don't give me anything 
personally to become invested in immediately. Yeah. And then you tell me that I have to go to school to understand the rest of your book. Yeah. I'm not going to do that, fam. I got things to do. I got kissing books to read where I could already be satisfying that that urge in my dark heart by like page 12 if I wanted to. And yeah. you're telling me that I got to I got to sit here and go to my dictionary to figure out what you're trying to tell me? I'm sorry. It needs to be worth it. Yep. And there needs to be something that makes it worth it. You don't have to give it all. Not every writer has to like give it all at once. I like what you said too, where you're like, if you're going to use this word, you better use it often and you better find a way to introduce it in, in the actual text instead of just in the glossary. Like, and there, there are so many people that are are getting good at doing that or that do that quite well. Um, I think I could point to several writers, but like, for example, one writer that I really enjoy in a book I read recently, I forget what it is. <laughs> I read a lot. Sorry, it's kind yeah, of mixed no, together. It was, it was a vampire book, and uh-huh. oh, it was Vela Roth. Okay, I, oh, I'm a big, yes. huge fan I'm of Vela. So Vela and I are friends. Vela and I are friends in real life. Vela and I like are good friends, but I am also Future like guests a hard on the pod. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes, I am such a hardcore, like a hardcore fangirl for her books, which yeah. I just think is really funny because I don't like a. Ever since Twilight, and this is cliche, but Twilight was like it for me for vampire romance. Oh my god! Because it was so light. You're talking maybe to the right I don't person. Know. You're talking. Yes. <laughs> yes. Listen, you should go back and listen to my Twilight episode because oh. I went deep on that. Oh my goodness! In the books, okay, I, I don't know. I don't know. Some people don't like this, but I will defend the books even till today. The movies are so-so. I watch them still often because they're like comfort. They're comfort food. Yeah. But I actually think that the books were quite great. And I actually think the books are kind of interesting because of how many things had to go right in order for them to just get published. Like, like that was the first book that Stephanie Meyer ever wrote. The first she, person she ever queried. And, and it, it just, goes to like, it went to an assistant who was pretending to be the agent and not even like, I don't even, I don't think I actually got into that in the episode because the episode, I, it was an audio essay that was like mm-hmm. soundscaped and had all the stuff in it. Like it was a whole thing. It was not I my love usual that. thing. Um, mm-hmm. It was for, it was um for our, it was a celebration thing for our one year anniversary. Um, and <laughs> I like did snippets of interviews that she did. I did like a, um, Stephen King was talking about uh, the effect of Fifty Shades of Grey and Twilight. Like I mixed it all in. Yeah. I don't think I even got into the fact that the the book came to her in a dream. Yep. Okay. She was a full time mom. At the mm-hmm. time, she had like three sons or something crazy, right? Yeah. At the time, she decided to write it just as a whim. She was sending it to her sister, who had no intention of publishing it. Her sister was like, you need to publish this. And so she decided to do that, got a, a bunch of rejections. She got like 50 rejections or something, which is pretty average, but like yep. hard for your first book. <laughs> yeah. Also, it was her first Especially freaking Especially if book. you don't know that's going to happen because a lot no. of people don't know at the beginning. They just think that they'll send it off and find someone. No. And then the person who does say, yes, I want to read the rest of the manuscript wasn't even the agent. It was an assistant pretending to be the agent. Mm -hmm. Like, how did this book get made into like, not to make this Twilight episode part two, but like, but I understand because, oh my goodness. But anyway, with Vela, like the original thought was Vela was my second vampire love. My first one, like Leo. 
he was mm-hmm. it because the first one was Edward. Um, and I, I just, I loved those books so much. And then when I read hers, she has a lot of concepts in there, which I think are interesting. She has words too. She has a language that, that comes from vulgar or vulgus, which actually vulgar was a, a language that existed like a thousand something years, a hundred years ago. And I know these things because I'm a super nerd. And I was yeah, like, Bella, yeah. like you put this in here, but it's so accessible <laughs> like yeah like you didn't need to know any of that to understand these things like people read this and it's it's a little dense it's a bit wordy at times which is fine I don't have any problem with that no um I don't think a lot of people do because her books are quite popular but I loved that accessibility even though she has a glossary I have never looked at it and I've read all her books and understand them very well and like know what she's getting at and they're they like that to me is is a tenant of a really, really excellent writer because you can include those things for people who enjoy that because obviously there are readers who would love that. But I, I have think encountered that, yes. Yeah, yeah. There are people who really like that, who are yeah. really into their maps and all of those things. And yeah. I enjoy them, but not to the same depth because I like stories a lot too. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's something that's really masterful to me. And I think something that's really important with writing. In something personal, a personal project I'm working on currently... I have gotten, I've dipped my toes into episodic or serial writing. Oh, which fun. Is, yeah, That's my yeah. zone. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I wanted to chat about it. Um, so Kindovella is brand new. You, I mean, a lot of people, I think, at least in the publishing world, have heard about it. I think they're still mm-hmm. trying to like get readers to look at it, which is fine. But yeah. I said, I'm going to try it out just for the heck of it um, to see if this is something that I would enjoy. Because I did screenwriting. I took a screenwriting class in in college, which I really liked. And it's different for me because the world building is set up differently. You you probably know all of this, right? Because you don't... If you're trying to hook a reader to read your episodes... You can't in the first episode make it an info dump. So for me, it's almost oh. well, it, it is a writing exercise for regular novel publishing as well and and, and writing because yeah. you have to start out with a hook. That's the first thing. Like you need something that's gonna make readers want to write, and you need yeah. to understand how to establish your world in a way that's gonna come over these episodes. And you also need to make space in case in 50 episodes you decide you want to add something in, there needs to be the flexibility to do that. So I'm I'm like having my my brain is like glowing all kinds of pretty blue on the C scan or whatever because I'm just so excited <laughs> about <It's>, um <laughs> it is like, you know it it really is it's so interesting that you bring that up because it's funny when people ask me like what what is the difference between writing, you know, just like and going right mm-hmm. writing a full novel in one go and writing the difference between like where your brain is because i do write my serials are are written all as a novel mm-hmm. but when i am writing them i am writing them with the serialization in mind so every yep. chapter is written to fit the serial and i think that it works as a full novel if anything i think that it moves the full novel faster because i i think that like yeah. I, I'm going to, you're propelled to read the next chapter because you have the next chapter in your hand, as opposed to my serialized readers. Have or you got to wait a week, week or like, four days yeah. or something. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was really funny when I gave my my arcs out. Um, one of the, the biggest pieces of feedback I got was, oh my God, your poor serial readers are going to die because like the, I, I read through this book in a night and I couldn't put it down and they're going to have to wait. And I was like, perfect, because that's exactly what I want you to feel like. I want you to blast through it and i want it to 
I want that to carry yeah. to the serialization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you do have to narratively change your thought process. You don't have the luxury of doing very slow builds of things like each chapter has to have its own narrative arc, um, which I guess you should do anyway. But I don't think people really think about when they're mm-hmm. when they're used to only doing um, novel you writing. You can't or- have a filler chapter in the same way no. in serial writing at all. And I, in some of my writing, I'm like, oh, I'm going to add this in here. You know, this is not 100% necessary, but it's short and, it, it, you know, it works, right? I've, I've made those chapters before. Serial writing, it's not, you, you can't be about that at all. Mm-hmm. I do what I call breather chapters where I will have a change in tone where like mm-hmm. we'll do something really, really angsty. Um, we'll have like a lot of plot development in, in the, uh, in the previous chapters. And then there are moments where I think it's easy as a serial writer to lose sight of the character development and mm-hmm. the intimate relationship and the softness required in a romance novel to um, continue to, to have the readers be invested in the actual romance and not just the plot. So breather chapters are important to put in because it's like, I need them to remember that there is softness here, that there is tenderness and it's not all go, 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 go. But you still have to maintain the excitement of the plot and not lose momentum. And that is like, I had to, I wrote 20,000 words of the, the, version of that people are now reading i wrote this book like 10 times over the, over like seven years but this final Ooh. version yeah it's a whole those thing. ones are so hard like the, the books that whenever i meet someone who's like yeah i've been writing this book for 10 years or something i'm like <laughs> i yeah. feel that every time so it's it hits yeah. you every time like someone's like oh yeah i you know my my first book or whatever and then i've come back to it a dozen times and i'm still querying it i'm like yeah. i just wanted to get mine out into the world i've done other stuff i'm you know always working on other stuff i'm not you know the most committed to this like and that's all i can think of but i felt like it should go out into the world and so i was going to put it out however that worked right no one wanted to publish it okay i'll do a serial version of it and people mm-hmm. have really liked it um but it i think it's made me a better writer to convert it to a serial and to be like okay how do i make this compelling and my first attempt actually failed i wrote twenty thousand words and i was like this is too slow this is way too slow no one's going to be invested in this chapter to chapter each week mm-hmm. um and it's really funny because now, of course, my, my readers are like, well, no, we'll, we'll read that. Like, no, we want it. Like, any content <laughs> is good. Like, give it to us. Give me. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, no, I you really you don't. I mean, I'll give it to you if you want. It's now a stretch goal for uh, for reaching a Patreon milestone. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm oh, like, goodness. if you guys really want the, that 20K of just, like, conversation, <laughs> you yeah. Sure. I love that. I don't know. And I tend to get really analytical about my writing. I, well, yeah. I don't know. Most authors, I think, do because you want to you want to learn what's good and you want to learn how to make your writing better. I yeah. any I I mean, I have a lot of written works out in the world now, which is sometimes a little scary. And I'm terrifying. Like, <laughs> Absolutely terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Like I am inviting you to judge my basest emotions you know i don't know like yeah and like your traumas and you're like and to see things in it that you don't necessarily intend like i've had people come up to me and be like oh yeah i see a lot of you in margo and i'm like oh god oh yeah i had a reader from the divinity chronicles that was like she came up to me after she read the second book and and i'm preparing to get like betas and stuff ready for the third book because it comes Mm -hmm. out in a few well in six months or so something like that and she's like, oh, a blink of an just eye. got so many layers. And I was like, 
what what do you think those layers are <laughs> and she's like telling me all these things and she's like oh and I felt this and I felt that and and this this reader I wrote an asexual character into one of the the books as well and she was mm-hmm. like I've never felt like oh, how did you how did you know this and how did you I was like well first of all I do try to do research so it's not like I'm flying by the seat of my pants over here like I yeah. do try to read experiences of other people if I'm going to try to include that into a book like and my husband and I have talked about that before because I am currently writing a story about a single mom and he's like I've never had children <laughs> I'm like well I have been friends. to space either but you know yeah. I can probably yeah. can guess one better than the other from yeah you know, exactly and so like um I it, it makes me feel really, really happy when people feel that way because I feel very, I, I'm very concerned about misrepresenting people's stories, first oh, of God, all. yeah. And yeah. and I'm also concerned about people reading in things into my books that I didn't intend. Like, for example, a big writer, a, a very, very world-renowned writer um, published something a few years ago and she got really blasted for it about it containing like containing notes of racism. And it was really interesting because she had sensitivity readers that read through it. Nobody Mm -hmm. picked up on this, but then some people did to popular ish people like book bloggers at the time, because Mm -hmm. it was like 2015 or something or 14. And Mm -hmm. they were like, this is a racist book. And like, and once people put it together, they're like, Oh no. (laughs) Like I see that, you know, but it was not something that was intended. And so I am concerned about that where something comes across in a way that I don't intend. So I try to be very, very sensitive. I mean, sensitivity readers is an excellent way to do that. Editing beta readers, you know, getting eyes on it before you get it in the paid format is important, but, but that is something that, that scares me. I think about writing. Yeah. It's really hard. It's, it's also like, there is a big debate going on right now about whether, you know, at first it was, yes, everyone should be writing gay characters. Everyone should be writing as much diversity as they can yeah. and like all this stuff. And it, the conversation has now moved to actually, are you the person who should be telling those stories? Should you yeah. be taking the space up for the people who are, who do identify with those stories? Um, Cause you already have space. Why should you be the one to do that? Um, which is fair. I think both yeah. both arguments are valid. I personally feel like it is not my place to tell certain stories because I'm not going to do yes. it sensi- sensitively enough. I don't think that I – I think my concern is always, am I doing more harm than good when I, when I tell mm-hmm. a story? Um, yeah. And, I, that's, I, and that's I, self-assessment. I like that that's really hard. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, I think that's a really productive debate for authors um, because I, I, the idea of taking somebody's place is something mm-hmm. that is so new because finally so many people have places, right? Uh, yeah. I don't know. So it's a, yeah. it's, a, it's, uh, it's a really important conversation for that reason because 10 years ago, the majority of people were writing and even people writing romance novels that had female pen names were actually men. Um, so, so in some, some of these cases, not in all cases, right? Like there were yeah. the erosion of, of, of female writers, which is very important, but you can look at like histories of some people. It's like, Oh, actually they're just all men, all of them. So, and, and, <laughs> and then the women who are writing were all white women. And then like, yep, you know, exactly. it's, it's, so, so intersectionality is finally yeah. hitting the pavement, yeah. right? It's, it's finally mm-hmm. there. And so there are some things, and for that reason, some things that I refuse to write, not refuse, but will not write, I guess, refuses. I don't know. It's not a great word for that. Um, 
because it's not my my story. I couldn't tell it. So sometimes people get upset at Sarah J. Mass because she writes white, like cis women, right? Straight women. Yeah. But that's what she is. So I don't know if, if it's actually wrong. I think she needs to be very careful when she consults other people to do that. But like yeah. for me, I don't know if I feel super care, like great writing other people because I don't have other people's experience. Now I can write other people into the novels as side characters and consult others on those. I feel more comfortable with that because technically less of the time I'm devoting everything. So you do want to have diversity into your worlds, but you need to be very careful about how you set up the narrative that's going to profit off of these other people that that experience those things, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's (laughs) really, it's a, it's a balancing act, you know, and it's, for me, it always comes down to harm reduction. Um, yeah. And I, I, you know, I don't ever want to, God, I'm crippled by the anxiety of someone reading my work and being harmed by it um, because yeah. that is never my intention. Mm-hmm. Uh, personally, how I feel is I can write my experience. I can write the experience that I have tangential you mm-hmm. know connection to mm-hmm. i can write the world as i see it the world as i experience it and that world includes every manner of person that i'm lucky to know yeah uh, my world i i really strive to i get kind of upset a little bit like i get a little niggling kind of itch when i encounter a fantasy world for instance or a paranormal where it's like okay faded mates exist and it's a biological imperative and it's only um people who are cis and straight and um, and so i i but i do love a faded mate so it's like okay how do i have this and also have something that is make is not, space make the yeah, table bigger right exactly yeah. mm-hmm. i want my world to have space for every person to see themselves in it do i think mm-hmm. that i have the ability or the uh, like i i this like i'm the person who should do it the privilege to be the person who who tells the stories of every single person out there in the world no no i don't <laughs> i'm not, mm-hmm. not going to pretend that i do um but I can say that there are every type of relationship. There is every type of relationship in my world. Yes. There is every type of person in my world. There is, I even go out of my way to make sure that not every romantic bond or every interpersonal magical bond between people in this world is a romantic or be based on sex or procreation. Mm-hmm. Some people don't even have magical bonds, but they choose to be with each other anyway. Like I, I really want, want there space to be... for different people to, to envision themselves in your work. That's, I think that's the best thing you can do as an author. You can try yeah. to write best what you know, or research what you want to write. Because I, I do believe that through the power of research and like real life connections, you can start to tell stories that maybe you don't have. I, I have a, an author who's queer, a, an author friend who's queer and her mm-hmm. first book, which really blew up has a bisexual character. The second one mm-hmm. is, is straight. Um, but the third one is, is a, is a lesbian. And she's like, I'm, I'm not a lesbian, but like I exist in queer thing, like, um, places like spaces and stuff like that. And, and she's done so much work to like really tell those stories, like do justice to those stories. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I do think with great care, I like what you say about minimizing damage with great care. I think you can enter into realms that maybe you aren't aware of, um, but you need to make sure like it is your responsibility as somebody putting out artistic content into the world that people are going to consume. That's supposed to be a a break for them or a space for them to explore like 
their dreams and their fantasies too, you need to be really, really careful with it. So I I really, really like a lot of the thoughts that you're saying where you, you make space for people to see themselves there. I, goodness, Faded Mates is such a popular thing. And I think it's because it speaks to our love of soulmates as people like that idea that there is someone out there for you that is going to fulfill you and make, make like your other half. So many people, not everybody, but so many people really resonate with that. I struggle with it a lot though, because I mean, personally from, from the kind of person that I am, I like the idea of choice. I like the idea of I'm going to choose you. And then once we choose each other, then we create this unbreakable bond. Right. But it comes from the result of choice and not as the result of like biology. Now, I don't I don't ever want to speak bad of any other author because I don't mind that other people really enjoy that or do really well writing that. I just know that because I don't like it, I'm not going to write it very well. So, (laughs) well, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I don't, you know, enjoy writing people who are terrible. So I probably wouldn't, you know, write a very good, terrible person who's super compelling yeah. well that's i mean that's not true i've written my yeah i was gonna bastards. say i don't know seems like you think so. <laughs> but, but i well that's but, the thing mm-hmm. is i also i don't always enjoy the idea that uh people don't get the chance to choose that they that they have to that they're propelled by some biological compulsion to love this person whether mm-hmm. they are compatible or not um mm-hmm. i i sometimes i do sometimes i don't i kind of vacillate like sometimes i do it like really it being very easy on the skill yeah and the in the type of story that you're reading too so that's one of the reasons why i hesitate to say that i would never read anything like that because obviously it's very prevalent in a lot of books that i've read but like i don't know um goodness what's the book the Holly Black book. I'm a huge Holly Black fan. Okay, that started Ooh, with Spiderwick Chronicles. Ooh, all right, we love I've Holly been Black. Here. Yep, <laughs> I've been on this train for a lot of years. All right, <laughs> and when she wrote The Cruel Prince, she oh. writes some dark stuff, man. <sighs> Dork. Mm-hmm. But it's so good. Like that's it's so okay. Good. That's my Angsty, favorite fae ever. And I, I grew up right reading traditional fae fairy, fairy tales because my mom was into them because she had a fascination with Scotland or something. Because my grandmother was Spanish, my grandfather was Scottish, so like we have like a family crest and stuff, which is kind of cool. And so this tradition of fae is kind of passed down to me, uh, where you you get like these fickle, unseely people who just yeah. you know do all these really fantastic things. I don't know. I just love it so much. It makes my brain happy. But the relationship yeah. between Jude and Carden, okay, I get it. People are like, it's abusive. It's not great. You know what? I get it. I don't care because they're both bad. So it works for me, <laughs> yeah. right? Because yeah, because true. that's like the whole thing that Holly Black says. She said because. Uh, what is it terrible girls and monster boys deserve love too or something like that right yeah. neither one of them is great jude is a very unlikable at times protagonist which i really like about her because again makes her human yeah. and and Cardin is cruel like like there's no other way to say it it's not enemies to lovers like there's some animosity at the beginning he is mean and cruel and does really really terrible things to people and um, but I'm also able to like suspend belief a little bit because of like what it is. <laughs> but then when they come yeah. together, it's very much like when she becomes the queen of Elfame and he's the king of Elfame. It, it kind of is happenstance, but it is a choice, like a con- conscious choice that both of them make. And then that choice binds them together and they choose to continue to allow that bond to grow. And for me, I'm like, this is the kind of stuff I want to read. <laughs> like that resonated yeah. so deeply for me, but there, but that's not going to be the same for everyone. And that's totally fine. Right. I feel like mates. 
sometimes in the way that it's written comes across to my brain like an easy cop-out to make two people who are not compatible like who don't have similar attachment style or whatever you know like two people that are not compatible as humans or whatever species just like to stick them together and people are like oh but they'll make it work because they're mates and i don't like it to. when it's written like yeah. that mm-hmm. yeah i you know i think you should read uh victoria Aveline's books now they are mm-hmm. sci-fi but they are shall we say soft sci-fi where Ooh. it's on a, another planet <laughs> uh but the it's a i honestly for i i have been thinking about this for a while. I think you would enjoy it because she also took a mat- like a matriarchal society. Um, Ten that has, titles. <laughs> that has become matriarchal because they lost so many of their women, which is not the way that trope normally goes. The Mars needs women trope usually goes, we've lost all of our women, so the men take over and then they go take some women from Earth and then those women are their like devoted mates for forever and they pop out a bunch of babies. Now, there is yeah. a place for that. I do enjoy a good book like that every one now and again. Yeah. Victoria is smart as hell. She's a dear friend of mine, but she became my friend after I slid into her email because I was like, I love your book so much. Please mm. come on my podcast. I need um, this. <laughs> honestly, me. honest to God, so it has a faded mates element, but the the faded mates thing can happen to anyone, same sex or whatever the hell. Mm-hmm. Um, it also like doesn't have a biological imperative. It's not about necessarily getting pregnant, but her her like thing is that this planet has developed this system of women being in charge because there are so few women that the men have to basically make themselves the best they can possibly be to earn the privilege of a temporary marriage to hopefully make a kid but then the woman moves on to the next guy lives with him until she has a kid or not or just maybe doesn't like him or likes him but doesn't want to have a kid with him moves on goes to the next guy and the men center their entire lives around becoming desirable to a woman they go to husbandry school they like get money explicitly (laughs) like so they can provide for their wives and their children that they hopefully are privileged having like it is god victoria is so damn smart and her writing is so good please Mm. it's called the clicanian books they're fantastic like it's oh they're great there's like five of them now um one of them has a space pirate it's great using oh my goodness yes Uh, see that's the kind of thing i don't know i it's really really hard once you get into well when you're a big bookie and then you get into publishing Mm -hmm. you just know all the stories right you know all of the the kinds of things and you you understand market tech tendencies as well which Mm -hmm. i don't want to say has ruined the magic of some of the books for me but it definitely has applied a more critical eye on what i read um and i'm sure i mean you have even have another step of that because you're not only like selling your own works but you also then take it a step further and sell other people's work so you have this like even more than i do the thing that i find so interesting is when i find something like that like this gem that just rises out of the the others because Mm -hmm. of that differentiation right because um and that's not to say I don't read books that are more written to market, run of the mill type things. I, I I litter those in all the time. I really enjoy those as well. But I mm-hmm. love finding something like that because those are the types of stories that create lasting impressions for me. Where you find yeah. something like that where you're like, oh, this has all these things, but it also has that element that I've been looking for. That's like, oh, I found a friend, you know, something... <laughs> Just it's, a cozy I, blanket. <laughs> I get, I, I've talked about it on the podcast before, but every now and again, I pick up a book that makes me, I have this thought where I, I stop reading for a second and I go, 
wow, I am so lucky to be alive to be reading this book right now, to be in this moment where I can read this book. Um, because it's pure chance that I exist at the exact right moment in time to be reading this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like when I read the uh, Side Changeling books, when I read Victoria Aveline's books, like when someone does it and they do the thing, capital T, the thing, it's the mm-hmm. most magical moment. And it's like, I I am so lucky to be receiving this right now. And then I'm so happy that I'm a reader and I'm so happy that I'm a writer. And it's just, it's just such a great reminder of like why we do it and why we dedicate yeah. our lives to it. So. It gives, I love that gratitude. I really love that that's, I think a lot of readers are familiar with that. And I, I have a lot of thoughts about like humanities and arts in general, because I've, I've spent mm-hmm. so much of my life immersed in it in, in one way or another, because I was like, I did get into theater and, and then I did theater design um, for several years before becoming a teacher. But like, it just propagates such a fantastic gratitude in your day-to-day life because you start to realize what an impact art has for you on your soul. And I, I, I don't know, I'm very protective of that idea. I don't mind jokes about reading. Like sometimes people are like, oh, no. you know, they, they make some self-depreciating jokes a lot about the, their reading things. And I, uh, I, for lack of a better word, a lot of times I tend to try to nobilize that for them. I wrote, um, for the fa- fantasy romance, February, the, um, the blog post that I wrote was called yeah. like of mirrors and windows. Um, and I compared that to how we consume our, our fantasy romance in specific, but really could apply to any kind of genre because it's giving us mirrors to art gives us mirrors to hold up mirrors to our own lives and say, Oh mm-hmm. my goodness. Like I, I see myself more clearly now because of my reaction to these things or because of how I see this, that's very similar to my, uh, my situation represented somewhere else, which is why representation is so awesome. Um, and then windows where you get to say, wow, I'm, I'm looking through a window to somebody else's life in a private way that I wouldn't necessarily have to in, in real life. So I really, I really love it when readers recognize the, the nobility in what they're doing. <laughs> where they realize like that it's like empathetic in some cases. Now, obviously you can make jokes about something. Sometimes it's, it's not that at all. Like there are far less noble reasons to read some books and some books like don't ask that of you either. But I would say in general, reading tends to do that quite a bit because even I'm friends with an author just by happen chance, author river green, Greer green. I don't remember which one it is. She writes, um, contemporary romance and she used to be a lawyer and had like a mental breakdown after taking the bar and working as a lawyer. And she became an author. And in her books, even though they are very heavy romance books that have like a lot of really explicit material in them, so many people resonate with them because it talks about that mental break. Like they they revolve around that in some way or around that anxiety that led to that. And I think that's yeah. like a really, I don't know, I just, I just don't see that as something bad um, where people are like find something that calls to them and they find a way to cope with their situations by taking a journey alongside their journey. That's another thing. I don't ever call it an escape. Um, a famous writer once said like that reading allows you to take a journey while you are on this really rough path. And that helps you to heal. That helps you to find closure and stuff. And so I like, 
I don't know. I just really resonate with all of those things and want people to feel less shame about reading what they like because it's it's a good thing. I don't I don't see negatives from it really. Unless it's something harmful. I don't know. <laughs> a book is an exercise in empathy because you are forced to step into somebody else's shoes. Even if you are doing the least amount of work in that arena possible, I I think putting your brain into somebody else's body for a minute and and considering how they would make choices at the bare minimum thinking about how another person exists in their own mind and has to make choices that benefit them or don't um that in itself is an exercise in creating empathy and that's something we could all use a lot more of today Mm -hmm. in this world yeah and that's i don't know i i'm guilty of this as well i mean i guess maybe i should put in a disclaimer like there are there are people out there that write really harmful material with ideas mm-hmm. that are really bad mm-hmm. so i mean i guess i shouldn't say all books because that's not representative <laughs> but no. but but i would again most books if we as people can like start to see ourselves less as uh, somebody who should be judged for everything that we do. Oh goodness. Everything, right? Like everything we like, everything that happens in our lives, we tend, we constantly judge ourselves for having these tastes or being this way. I think if we, we did a little bit less than that, we would not only like, like you said, have this exercise and empathy for someone else, but also have more empathy for ourselves, which is so important for having emotionally intelligent human beings. Like that's why art is so good because it makes you feel things that you don't want, but it also allows you to like, look at yourself as a person, as a whole person, as a person with good things and bad things and things that you want to change or things you want to like improve upon. And then you can say like, wow, I really accept myself as I am. I really know what I like. And that's really empowering. So yeah. (laughs) I think you're absolutely right. Um, And I think this, I could talk to you for, I guess, another like five hours because this is so interesting (laughs) and so fun. But we're getting to the point here where we need to cut this off because we we are doing another episode together. So we will get to talk more. We're going to be talking to you and your co-writer um, very soon. Gosh, April, right? I don't remember if it was April or May. Let me look at the email. Something. I've, I scheduled like yeah. 10 author interviews in the past. Like, yeah, I know. You, were, you sent a message and everybody was like, podcast. <laughs> I'll do it. Sure. Um, and I was like, all right, get on my docket. <laughs> Okay, the next one that we have is on May 15th. So in a month. Okay, so that'll be coming out in May. Um, And so we're going to talk more. But for today, I feel like we have had a a series of very fun discussions. I've had a good time. I don't know about you. Same. Uh, This has been been great. I love talking to you. But you know what? Now is the time for you to tell people where to get your stuff, where to get your books, where you're going to be at, what you do, where social media handles, whatever you want, your pluggables. This is your time. Go. Thank you. Okay. So in the, I am in the process of looking at going a little bit wider in terms of physical books. Um, so you can expect before the end of, of summer to find be able to find my things on like Barnes and Noble um, and just kind of around the different retailers. Currently, I'm Amazon exclusive. So I am on Kindle Unlimited with ebooks if you want to read my books for free. Um, I am on Kindle Vela, which is very new, but it is um, available to U.S. readers through the Kindle app. You can check out the episodes I have. The first uh, series that I have out is called An Elvish Guide to Raising Dragons, which is about, it seems like a very um, 
benign title, but it's about a woman who is in an abusive relationship and she's like trying to have a kid and stuff. And she, you know, it's her journey to love. And uh, there's a sister story along that one that has come out as well that is called East of the Hollows, which is a, about a human. It's it's kind of a retelling of East of the Moon, West of, East of the Sun, West of the Moon. The Norwegian fairy tale <laughs> that I always mix up. Um, so you can find me on Kindovella, um, Amazon. I also on social media, everything is the same. Author Daniela Mera. Um, that's, that's my, that's my name too. So, I mean, you could even find me on Facebook if you really wanted. I've had some people who <laughs> send messages. So Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all of the good stuff. I, ju- I just don't do Twitter, I guess. So. That's yeah. fair enough. Twitter's terrible. Don't worry about it. Yeah. It's, I never got the hype and now it just seems not great like even worse so yeah (laughs) everyone's so upset all the time on twitter it's very depressing yeah Uh, okay well daniela that's wonderful uh i will have all of the links below to your pre-orders to your social media all of that's going to be in the description as per usual um you should definitely read it listen y'all i know you love high fantasy so like get on it like seriously this is (laughs) daniela's books are your cup of tea i promise um i have several every time i ask for like requests for for people will be like oh what should i like read or do for the podcast um inevitably someone goes like you should do like a brandon sanderson he has like some romance and i'm like okay all right okay so i okay that person if that person listens to this episode i need them to know that i agree with you like like i said at the (laughs) beginning a lot of people romance readers will not be like uh, this is this is not enough for me. They don't have happy endings all the time, though. I can't. No, risk but man that. has game. I don't know. Like, oh my goodness, Elantris. The start of the story is like this older maiden. I'm getting on a tangent again, but just really fast. <laughs> like this older maiden who believes in love, and then her fiance dies, and like, oh my goodness, it's so good. Oh, that I, just I really enjoy it. <laughs> but yes, you're right. It does I not promise have I will, a happily ever I, after. I, I will eventually attempt to Sanderson. Maybe at the same time, I'll attempt to to read, <laughs> to finally finish a Sarah J. Mass book. I don't know. We'll get there. We'll no, get there. don't read them I at have, the same time. I, I think you would be very disappointed in one or the other. I'll just be so <laughs> salty, just like the whole time. Uh, yeah. You know, that's just my default anyway. But uh, I have stuff that you can, I don't know, if you want, you can find me on the internet, y'all, at Abigail K. Kelly on Twitter or Kingdom Thirst everywhere else. Um on Instagram, I post a lot of stuff. I do a lot of art. I do a lot of my own writing stuff. Consort's Glory is chug, chug, chugging along. Um, we will be past the halfway mark. There's uh, Consort's Glory is is you. If you join now, honestly, you'll have so much to binge, and it's going to be a lot for you. We just got past a, shall we say, huge reveal at the time that this episode is going to be coming out. Things are happening in the plot <laughs> um and uh and and it's the people are having a good time in there i'm also gonna be doing special edition book boxes so if you get into the patreon and you want the book if you want the physical copy of the book there is an exclusive cover with a ton of bonus content it comes in a book box with all custom packaging it's gonna be beautiful i've designed everything myself it's gonna be a whole thing i've gone absolutely mad with power um and you can get that if you sign up to be a patron there are gonna be special editions that you can get as a non-patron but those are going to be slightly less cool and also a little bit more expensive. Um, so if you want that, 
It's uh, patreon.com slash works by Abigail. All of my links are below. You know where to get them. I've got a novella collection coming out called Fragile Beings, which is set in the same world. The first novella in the collection is about a demon rescuing a fae changeling who's been trapped in a terrarium. Um, and they fall in love. They go on a road trip. They kill two people. Don't worry about it. Um, and then the second one is about a dragon. <laughs> A dragon shifter who falls in love with a um, scientist who lives at the top of a mountain who accidentally condemns him to death and attempts to save his life. And in doing so, invites him into her home and realizes how big of a mistake that is approximately 10 minutes later. Because um, he will not leave. <laughs> oh goodness, uh, you're selling book- me. I know you're selling to everyone else, but you're selling to me. <laughs> well, then that's the battle there we go i got one at least uh the third novella has yet to be announced but i am so damn excited about it y'all i've been waiting to write this book for years so it's going to be quite something i have the cover all done for it's gonna be wild but you can also get that special edition bundled into the big uh concerts glory special edition if you would like as a patron so for like basically at cost so it's going to be quite the deal but or you can do none of those things. That's cool if you just listen to the podcast and you just like it. That's also fun. You don't have to do anything. Just enjoy. That's cool, too. I ain't mind. You can maybe drop a review, but that's, you know, whatever. That's cool. You don't have to do that either. I'm not going to ask you to do it. Uh... <laughs> All righty, Daniela. It has been such a privilege to have you on. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Abigail. This was wonderful. And I am excited for our next one. So, yay. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to have a good time. Yeah. All righty. Well, I will talk to y'all next week. Okay, bye. Kingdom of Thirst is a member of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find all of our episodes and tons of new podcasts to listen to at frolic.media slash podcasts.